Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. And listener, let me ask you how satisfied you are with your bank. Is there a collection of weaponry up to scratch? If you cast a glance over their art collection, would you consider their depictions of old ladies being sexually assaulted by prime ministers to be satisfactory? Do the staff routinely encourage you to fondle bullion priced at about a third of a million pounds? Here's the clincher. Does your bank have the most cumbersome nickname in the history of nicknames? Might be time to change accounts. In the meantime, let's head to Threadneedle Street and the Bank of England. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the like before. Just a stone throw from your front door. Now, I am under a vaulted and domed roof, which is just where I like to be, and we are in the heart, I think, of the Bank of England, and with me, Anna Spender, the curator of the Museum of the Bank of England. Hi. Hello, nice to meet you. Likewise. We were getting ready for the interview, and you mentioned that you've only been in post for uh, a few months, so this is, uh, this is a bold move for both of us. Absolutely. But as I said, everything's fascinating to me, so hopefully I can point out a few um, interesting things along the way. Hopefully so. So what we're going to be doing today is journeying around the museum and finding out about the history of this institution and this great big grey stone blob that's in the middle of the city. Maybe we could start by mapping out something about the building itself and I think this wasn't the first place that the Bank of England has been. No, that's right. The Bank of England was actually founded um, way back in 1694 as a way of raising funds for the war against France. We'd run out of boats, hadn't we? We had. And a genius idea came about where um, members of the public could subscribe to a loan, effectively, that was given to the government. And they managed to raise £1,200,000 in 11 days, I believe. And lots of different subscribers, including King William himself, who handed over £10,000. Lots of different people, right down to chemists and bakers who donated £20. So it was established for the the good of the public and that's still our central function today. You you putting it like that makes me realise there's no difference between war bonds and crowdfunding, is there? No, it seems very similar. At, At that time, the 
bank building itself was actually in Cheapside in the Mercers Hall. It moved the following year to um, Prince's Street, just next to the bank. So for 40 years it was in rented accommodation um, and it wasn't until 1734 that the bank moved to its present site on Threadneedle Street and it was actually the estate of John Hublon um, who was the first governor of the Bank of England so effectively it was his house that the bank moved into. Over the centuries it's increased in size with demand and the bank obviously got busier and busier over time. The exterior of the bank that we see today is down to an architect by the name of John Soane. He was architect and surveyor of the bank um, from 1788 through to 1833. However... This is a big however. This is a big however. The bank, um, during the First World War, needed to expand dramatically. So along came Herbert Baker, a very famous architect. 1925 started to demolish Soane's work and effectively did that in segments so that the bank could carry on functioning. Um, So a lot of what we see today um, dates to 1925 through to about 1939, which may surprise a lot of people. Are we conveniently close to something that we could point at and, and identify it as one of those two styles? Well, we can. We're actually in the what we call the stock office as you come into the museum. Um, this big domed ceiling is actually Herbert Baker's reconstruction of Soane's stock office. So you get a, a taste of, of what the um, original bank here would have been like but Herbert Baker expanded the building both up and down it goes down three levels and up seven so in old photographs of the bank you'll just see um, sort of a, a very low building sort of hiding away in the city now it sort of rises much higher well, that's, that surprises me. On the way past, I never get the impression that it's as tall as that. Mm, absolutely. Is that so. clever architectural design? I, I would think so, and I think going down obviously helps, and uh, sort of making room for the, the gold vaults below, which uh, a lot of people are very interested in, and they can learn a lot more here at the museum, including being able to hold one of our very own gold bars. Well, that sounds like, uh, yes, the highlight of, uh, of any tour, and you can take it home for your very own. Um, I wouldn't say that. You can you can buy a, a copy in the gift shop. Can you really? Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit tacky. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, we've got to do what we've got to do. We'll come back to gold, by the way, I hope, because there's a lot to, to say about the gold standard and all of that stuff. I'm genuinely confused by it because there seem to be all sorts of variants on what the gold standard stands for. But where are we going to begin our look around? So, um, if we begin our walk around the museum in the stock office, um, you're presented by a model of a boat. Now, this I find very useful. Um, I, I need to paint a picture here because yes. when you say a model of the boat, <laughs> but, <laughs> well, what I'm seeing is more sort of a, a ribbed outbuilding. On closer inspection, yes, it does look like the ribs of a boat with a bit of decking there, but it's a, a cross section from maybe the middle of a boat. Absolutely. So, visitors are able to board the boat, which is a metaphor for the bank. It will explain some difficult themes, what different aspects of the bank does. So we have information about the Financial Policy Committee, Monetary Policy Committee, the inflation rate, quantitative easing, all of those complicated things. So the boat is being guided through sort of economical storms and all of that sort of thing. So it it really does explain what we do today. Lots of different interactives and films that visitors can watch as well to to really understand what we do. I ask this with an angle to my question. What's your uh, background before you came here? 
My background, um, nothing to do with money or the economy. Um, I actually worked for 15 years at Hever Castle in Kent. So um, I come from a Tudor background, if you like, but I'm a historian at heart. So, well, OK, my suspicion has been satisfied then because this is obviously a huge change from what you've been working on and the Tudors kind of naturally lend themselves to a public and international interest, don't they, with uh, blood and sex and all that stuff. How do you go about tackling some of these, well, let's face it, kind of dry ideas? Well, I think the museum is a really good way of doing that because... Well, for me, for example, it is a very complicated mm. issue. But I think to make something um, interactive and fun is a good way to, to learn. And it's something that affects everybody. It, it just doesn't affect one part of society. It's everybody. So a museum is a, is a lovely place to come and get your head around all of those complicated issues. How did you take on that learning curve? Um, I I visited the museum several times before I started here, but I do spend time in here most days. And whereas we we always think about the bank as money and economy, the museum explains much more than that. It's not, the bank isn't just about money. It's about lots of different things. It produces banknotes. We have gold here. Lots of interesting people have worked here. For example, Kenneth Graham, who wrote Wind in the Willows. Um, He worked here for 30 years. So it's much more. So hopefully visitors to the museum will get a a nice sort of rounded view of the bank's history and what we do today. Uh, Looking at uh, some of the concepts that are suggested on the, I want to call them sales, but they're not. They're part of the material of the ship. Uh, Inflation, inflation targets, banknotes, the safeguarding of the financial system, financial policy committees. Could you pick out a jewel amongst these? I would would probably say inflation. It's a good topic at the moment. We've got very low inflation. Um, I think at present it's 0.1%. Inflation target is 2%. So, again, something that many people might find a little bit difficult to understand, but it is something that people encounter day to day. And as I mentioned before, we have interactives that people, sort of hands on, can get to grips with the idea. Is there a, a disconnect, do you think? I mean, I don't know if you find this in your own personal life when you go to a shop to buy something. Do you, do you readily connect the price of the object in front of you or the process of purchasing it or how much money you've got in your pocket in the first place? Do you readily connect it with these concepts? Not necessarily, funnily enough. I'm probably starting to think about it a little bit more now I've been here um, a few months. You know, I think this really brings it home to everybody that it is the, the bread that you buy, you know, the milk that you put on your cereal, um, not just big things like houses and cars and, and that sort of thing. It's the everyday things that it's, it's really important. Could you give us a, a nugget that we might not know about uh, inflation? Oh, gosh. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's <laughs> I'm not an economist. I'll let, I'll let you wind, <laughs> wind your way up to that one or uh, sidestep it gracefully. <laughs> Just uh, as a bit of a tangent, we had, uh, because I think we're going to be heading towards some currency uh, examples at, at some point here, and we had some guys on the show a few weeks ago who have set up their own currency in Brixton, and I know there are other initiatives like that around the country in Bristol and so forth. And reading up on some of the history here, I was looking at which institutions are and are not allowed allowed to issue currency. Could you give us an overview of that side of things? Um, Yes. Well, the the Bank of England has issued banknotes in this country since 
it was founded in 1694. So now, at that point, these were sort of promissory notes based on the investment that individuals had made? They were, um, effectively IOUs um, for depositing your gold with the goldsmiths. Um, handwritten notes... Sorry, that's yeah. it. you were handing gold in? Yes, so it's, it's effectively a receipt, I, I suppose, if you, if you like to think of it that way, um, which you'd hand back to get your gold back. Um, so the, the country's in crisis, presumably under threat. I think the French were involved. Why was it only gold that they were interested in, in particular, not, not other precious metals or precious stuff? Yeah, so gold, I believe, was used for coinage and that sort of thing, and it, it was what you used to purchase items. We'll see shortly how the bank got its, its famous nickname, the old lady of Threadneedle Street, um, and that was during the restriction period, which at that time we were um, also under threat of invasion from France again. And the Prime Minister at the time, William Pitt, um, wanted to restrict the public using gold to pay for things so that he had enough gold to pay for the war. And it was at that time that the bank started issuing um, small denominations of banknotes, £1 notes, £2 notes, for the public to use. It was very unpopular. A lot of the public were used to paying with gold coins. Many of them couldn't read either, so they couldn't understand what the banknotes meant. And at this time, um, counterfeiting was rife. Um, It was very easy to copy a banknote. And at that time, this is at the end of the 18th century, I believe there were over 300 people that were executed for counterfeiting. So it was a serious crime at that time. But presumably the risk of counterfeiting was less of a a pressing danger than the risk of clipping. Yes. um, Now, the risk of clipping, I do know a little bit about that, but you are probably best to talk to the Royal Mint about that, (laughs) who deal with all of our coinage. So we're more banknotes um, at the Bank of England. And a banknote at that time looked like what? Yes, let's go and see. So if we go through to the early years section of the museum, um, we'll be able to see a very important document belonging to the bank. The museum is organised in a sort of chronological order. So when you um, pass the section about uh, what the bank does today, uh, we have a small section about when the bank was founded in 1694. And here you will see the Royal Charter that was issued by William III announcing um, the um, founding of the Bank of England. Which is a, a poster-sized piece, uh, very ornately decorated around the edges with a, a picture, I suspect, of His Majesty in the top left. Very, very tiny writing, and essentially boiling down to what? Well, th- this is um, the official royal charter um, that supports the bank as the government's banker, effectively, um, and de- debt manager. And that's um, exactly what we do today. Its function hasn't changed. There's some fine distinctions. On, normally, I would think about leaving this till later in the chronology of the development of the bank. But it might be worth separating these ideas now, because I think it, at this point, it, it wasn't a central bank or it wasn't a national bank. There's, there's some fine distinctions of terminology. I, I suppose at that time... It it, it was a central bank. It's actually the Bank of England is actually the second oldest central bank in the world. I, I think the oldest central bank is the Swedish central bank. So effectively, it was the central bank of England. Next to the chart, you'll also see the um, subscription book that contains all of the names of the private investors to the original Bank of England, together with the amount of money that 
they subscribed and there are 1,268 subscriptions. Uh, it was a very popular idea. I believe that people were promised um, an 8% return on their money for perpetuity. So it seemed like a, a good deal at the time. And as I say, um, the king himself um, even subscribed money towards this. A total of just over a million pounds at that time. Um, there are ordinary people in the subscription book as well. Um, there are bakers, chemists, um, uh, those sort of people as well. So it sort of covered all areas of society. Well, no, just Britannia over there. I'm not sure if there's anything to say. I just noticed uh, her, her figure starts appearing this early. Yes. Um, in relation to our currency. Absolutely. Um, and Britannia is um, a wonderful symbol for the Bank of England. Um, she's been on our banknotes since the beginning in 1694 um, and has been ever since. So she's a, a symbol of um, stability and strength and resilience, I suppose. She's, she's always been there. I was delighted to discover, just because it's one of those little historical curiosities that the monarch has by no means been on the banknotes for all that time. Uh, absolutely. Um, the Queen has only been on our banknotes since 1960. Um, so relatively recently, I suppose. Um, and historical figures first appeared on banknotes in 1970. And even at that time, some of the older banknotes were still in circulation, the big, white, ornate banknotes were still in circulation so it's only relatively recently that we're we're seeing the currency that we're used to today. Shall we uh, drift along and have a look at some of those early items of currency? The Sound of London, Londonist Out Loud with N. Quentin Wolfe. Listen free every week on your favourite podcast platform, subscribe via iTunes and get great extra content at londonist.com. Tweet the show at Londonist Sound and see pictures of all our guests on the Londonist Out Loud stream on Instagram. Londonist. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Out loud is free every week. You can support the show and Londonist via the Londonist shop, where you'll find excellent gift ideas, including London postcode t-shirts. The Secrets of the Tube DVD, 
chunky logo mugs, tote bags, hoodies, the Inspector Sands tea, and the Londonist Oyster card holder. Treat yourself, support us, and share your love of London at londonist.com slash shop. Uh, we're moving through a wood-panelled rabbit warren of low-lit rooms. Lighting must be an issue with all this, because this is very much document uh, territory. You must be careful about how you illuminate the artefacts. Uh, absolutely. Um, we've, we've got a mixture of original documents and facsimiles here, purely because we, we do have to be very careful about the environment in here. So you will find some areas of the museum are very dimly lit. Right side of the doorway here, I've got two things that I could look at. One of them is a cartoon and the other is a million pound note. I'm going to resist looking down. I'm going to look at the cartoon. Wonderful. So um, the cartoon that you're seeing here dates to 1797 and this is by the famous cartoonist James Gilray. And this is a, a very important cartoon in that this is where we first see the nickname of the Bank of England, the old lady of Threadneedle Street. Um, and you can see um, an old lady dressed in the new one-pound notes being ravished by William Pitt, the Prime Minister. Um, she's pr- protecting um, the Bank of England's gold. He was trying to get to the gold to pay for the wars with France, but the old lady here is protecting her store of gold. And the, the speech bubble here, she's a, a crone covered in banknotes, and she's saying, murder, murder, rape, murder, oh, you villain, what have I kept my honour untainted so long to have it broke up by you at last, oh, murder, rape, ravishment, ruin, ruin. Ruin. Four exclamation marks. Was this reflective of the popular mood in relation to this move? Seems as though there was a bit of popular excitement about it. Um, there was, as I mentioned before, that the public weren't weren't happy that they were being issued with these um, one pound notes um, rather than being able to use their gold coins. So it is a reflection of the time and the the political situation. At the end of the eighteenth century. Shall we move through? Yeah, uh, this this has a, a Hellenic feel straight away. Busts are plenty. Corinthian columns and uh, firearms. I hope this bit of the interview goes well. I could be in trouble. Muskets, rifles, bayonets fixed. And there's a, there's a very particular feeling in this part of the building. This seems... You can feel that it's structurally different. Why, why is that? Do we know? Um, I don't know, I'm afraid. Um, we are actually um, working on a project to refurbish this area of the museum next year, so that will be something nice for our visitors to come and see towards the end of next year. But the Banknote Gallery is um, a really interesting space. It explains the, um, the history of our banknotes from the very beginnings to present day. So um, in the far corner, you'll see some of our early banknotes and as you can see they look rather different to the way they do today they're much larger they're on white paper and many of them were um, handwritten Um, but there are some similar themes if you like you'll be able to see the image of Britannia on all of them and you'll see that on our banknotes today and also um, the wording promise to pay which has been on our banknotes since the very beginning and is still on our banknotes today. And they, they look like cheques, don't they? 
They do, and uh, as we mentioned before, um, they were IOUs effectively. Uh, an interesting fact is that the cashier at the time would actually have to sign every single banknote, uh, whereas it, the signature is printed on the banknotes these days, but they had to physically sign every single banknote, and that, that was their job all day, every day, signing their name. <laughs> what, what was the, the practical usage then of, of these as currency in the early days? Uh, well, how, how usable were they? Um, they? They were extremely usable. Um, uh, originally, um, being a receipt, if you like, people actually found it much easier to deal with paper money than with gold. Um, so it just became much more popular with the population, and uh, and the idea stuck. So um, it's something that we've we've kept um, to this day. I wonder if this had an effect on crime right away, because it it must be easier to dispose of gold rather than uh, signed pieces of paper that you can track. Um, I suppose in terms of crime, the biggest threat was counterfeiting. Um, and we do have a display case in here about forgeries, some of the tools that were used. Some of them were very sophisticated. Now this looks very much like a surgeon's apparatus. Um, it does indeed. Uh, a lot of these tools were used to create copper plates um, so that the counterfeiters were able to print their own banknotes. Ah, we can see one here, OK, in the, in the background. And, of course, it's reversed because it's for printing on and we can see the denomination name of the name a calligraphed uh, word one at the top bank of england one and the rest of it's in a, a sort of a copper plate hat ah copper plate mm. on a copper plate copper plate mm, absolutely and I, I believe that is how we produce our banknotes today as well Sim- very similar sort of method but as you as you follow the um, gallery through, you'll see the development of the banknotes. We've got something that looks much more recognisably like currency straight away. Instead of the very thin writing and the, the thin lines to write upon to keep your handwriting straight, here we've got an ornate pattern that fans out from a central image. Everything's very detailed. You can see uh, that some serious effort has been put into making this difficult to copy. Um, absolutely. And um, that's the key thing when we start seeing these ornate patterns this was a, a really key move to try and prevent counterfeiting um, to make a design so complicated that no one could possibly uh, replicate it um, and just behind us we have our geometric chuck lathe um, this dates to the early 20th century um, but this is the sort of machinery that was used um, in the design of banknotes and just to put it in very very simple terms um, it's a little bit like a spirograph <laughs> <laughs> for listeners who do not have a geometric chuck lathe at home this is a garden bench size base and on top of it uh, an enormous uh, like the innards of a grandfather clock but a, but a really big one from that I'm, I'm guessing he's produced the near holographic quality that you get on a banknote. Absolutely. Um, and you can see on the top of the machine there um, the um, the sort of workings of a, a banknote design there. But, yeah, producing these very, very complicated images, much more complicated these days, much more sophisticated. But, um, yes, as we, as we move down, um, we'll start to recognise some of the banknotes um, that have been used fairly recently. Um, we have the Shakespeare... £20 note. As we, as we move towards Shakespeare, I notice that the notes are getting smaller. They are indeed. I know early in the life of uh, paper currency, the uh, back side of it was left 
blank. Um, we're moving up towards some stuff here that, that has many more of the signature features of a, a note in your wallet today. There's that um, a blank spot in the middle which might contain some sort of watermark. There's a figurehead in this case, uh, once again Britannia, but a notice a recognisable facial representation. Absolutely. As I say, she's been on the banknotes since the very beginning of time. Um, I didn't realise she had such a prominent position though. She looks like she's well, she's taken the place of the monarch here, really. Well, this is, a, this is just before the time when Queen Elizabeth was on the banknotes. This is the late 1950s. So, yes, this is where the, the monarch's face would be. Um, and you'll also see images of lions on a lot of our banknotes. Again, very symbolic image of strength and security and sort of the, the protectors of a financial institution, if you like. Well, and it makes a lot of sense suddenly because what you were saying at the beginning there, people need to have confidence in the currency, don't they? They need to believe that, that this piece of paper is going to be cashed in for, certainly early on, an amount of gold. Absolutely. So you want to be filling their head with ideas of security? That's exactly right, and that is one of the bank's main functions. We need to um, instill that sense of trust in the public that their banknote is going to be worth what it says on it. So, yeah, it's a very important idea. As we move through, we'll start to recognise um, some more familiar banknotes, um, mm-hmm. looking much more like the sort of thing we're used to today, showing the monarch's profile. We have here the Shakespeare £20 note that was issued in 1970. This is the first banknote to show um, an historic figure. And it's, incidentally, the first time that a £20 note had been issued since just after the Second World War. Why is that? Um, it, it was to do with the war, and we needed to restrict the sort of larger notes. And it wasn't until 1970 that they decided to try and reintroduce the larger um, denominations. So up until the 1940s, the £20 note looked like one of the big, white, old-fashioned banknotes, so it was quite a step away from what it used to be like. Have, have you got any of those um, in period pieces? You often see people unfolding a note from their pocket and it looks like a newspaper. Have you got one of those in real life? Oh, well, we've probably it's it's probably one of these these sorts of banknotes. Yeah, this is the larger, sort of thing. Yeah, more or less A five. Yes, yeah, sort of A five in size, very thin paper, black and white, um, very ornate handwriting. That of course was printed later on. So yes, sort of three times as large as the sort of banknote that we're used to. And I'm imagining that you must experience a lot of people coming to this uh, final cabinet with the notes from the 70s and 80s and making approving clucks of recognition. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We do have a lot of families and schools that come to visit us here, but many of the the visitors do remember these sorts of banknotes, and it is a nostalgic thing. It's nice for them to come and, and see these banknotes again, you know, now that they're not in circulation. There's something uniquely pleasing about Florence Nightingale. Just the colours, actually. I don't see that combination of colours elsewhere. There's a sort of almost black shade of brown behind Florence Nightingale. This is on the 10. And then a pinky, orangey colour in the background, blending into yellow. All, all sorts of memories cropping up straight away from childhood, I guess. Do you know what I wanted to ask you? It was about the, um, uh, the different denominations of note and how much that's changed over time. It, it hasn't really changed hugely over time. We, we've always had a 5, 10, 20, 
50. We no longer see the £1 notes. There were £2 notes at some time and odd denominations as well. You mentioned the million-pound note earlier as well. Is that just a publicity thing or is that really uh, useful for something? Um, I think that probably was more of a publicity thing, but it may have been a receipt for that amount of gold that was deposited. So, yeah, denominations haven't changed hugely over time. The appearance of banknotes have, and our modern-day banknotes, of course, are much brighter in colour. And we're starting to work with the public now, deciding on the next um, banknote characters. So it's, it's very much an all-inclusive uh, thing, rather than just something that the bank does itself. How are you going about that? At the moment, we have a nomination um, period that we are looking for the character for the next... £20 note, which will be issued at the moment, sort of due 2018. And the theme is um, visual artists. So this includes painters, architects, sculptors, photographers, filmmakers, and that sort of thing. Um, And I think it will be announced at some time next year, I believe. Well, there's no easy segue, I suspect, but uh, you're standing in front of a cabinet full of guns. (laughs) We are indeed. In fact, we're in a room. There are guns everywhere you look and spears and swords. Not what one would expect to find in a uh, a monetary museum. No. um, Are we expecting trouble? (laughs) Um, We're no longer expecting trouble. These sorts of things originate um, from the 1790s, 1780s, 1790s. The bank was actually attacked during the Gordon riots. At that time, the bank was actually next to a church called St Christopher Le Stocks, and the mob had actually climbed to the top of the church and... (laughs) started throwing things into the bank and it was at this time that the bank's picket was established so this is a small um, army if you like of of, um, uniformed men that would patrol daily to make sure that there wasn't anything untoward Um, and this carried on through right until the 1970s so as I say we no longer need any of these things but it's an important part of the bank's history. I'm surprised that it kept going as late as that. By that point, was it a token defence? It was. It was more of a tradition. And we we still do have traditions here at the bank. At the bank's main entrance on Threadneedle Street, you may see um, one of our gatekeepers in his pink tailcoats and top hat. And again, that's from a bygone age. We call those the Hublon Pinks. And that was the the colour combination that was used for John Hublon's house staff. Um, uh, As I mentioned, the bank was originally John Hublon's house in the 1730s. So it's a a hark back to those earlier times. But a a lovely thing to see and nice to keep those traditions. Although in the day, presumably, that was not the job that you wanted because it came with the pink uniform. Well, I I believe that there was great honour in wearing the pink uniform and... um, (laughs) And even today, you know, it's, you know, it's a highly respected thing. It's a, you know, very important thing to, to do. <laughs> Would you like to see the gold? Uh, a phrase that I don't hear often enough. Yes. Show me the money. Okay, so here we have... Oh, show, me, show me the gold. You've shown me the money. Show me the gold. Show you the gold. So um, here we are at our gold bar. Um, This is a London good delivery bar that um, visitors to the museum are able to try and lift. Can we just have that phrase again, a London good delivery bar? Yes, that's the um, technical term for a gold bar. What does it mean? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that suggests that it's a brand and there are different sorts of gold bar, or is it 
Is it about the design? I, I don't know. Um, there is a very specific design, a very specific shape. You know, they're, they're all marked, so we know uh, where they've come from. We do hold um, about 400,000 bars of gold here at the bank in our vaults, right underneath um, the museum. The gold bar weighs about 13 kilograms and so it is very very heavy and interestingly enough um, the Bank of England only owns two gold bars and they're both in the museum so one the visitors can um, attempt to lift um, and the other is in um, our gold corridor display so yes it's it may surprise some people. Well, it does surprise me. There's a picture right here, a black and white picture, probably from the first half of the 20th century, with a fellow noting down how many gold bars he's got in some sort of secure cellar. He appears to have a lot of gold, and the bank only has two bars of gold. Mm. Uh, What's the reason for this disparity? So um, the Bank of England um, effectively um, holds the gold for um, other governments other central banks around the world um, and the treasury um, so it's it's almost like a holding bay if you like um, a, a safe store as I mentioned there are uh, um, over 400,000 bars of gold down there they have to be stored in a very certain way as well because of the sheer weight of them the bank is built on London clay so it's it's quite a soft platform if you like and the gold has to be stored around the edge of the vault to prevent it from sinking well and gold itself is quite soft isn't it it is very soft and very easy to mark somewhere like the gold reserve in new york um, are able to pile their gold as high as they like they're on bedrock so they haven't got to worry but there's a very specific way Um, and there are are lots of images and information here in the museum to to show our visitors um, how that works including a a huge image in our gold corridor of the gold vaults and we do encourage our visitors to take their very own gold vault selfie Um, hashtag gold vault selfie and they can post this on the museum's Twitter feed, uh, which is hashtag BOE Museum. Um, so visitors can feel like they've visited the gold vaults here. Do members of the general public ever get to take a squint at the gold under us? They don't, I'm afraid, no. And uh, many members of staff don't get to visit either. So, um, yeah, it's very much just a, a holding bay for, um, for the gold. So uh, we're looking here at the, at the bar in question, and it's it's in very, very thick reinforced glass. There's a hole through in the manner of one of those boxes that scientists do particularly dangerous experiments in. You can reach through the hole and touch the gold. And in your first three months in this job, what are the standard reactions for people inserting their limbs? Um, it's, it's a bit of a challenge, really. I think a lot of people don't realise how heavy a bar of gold actually is. It's much denser than lead. In addition to that, just above the case with the gold bar Um, it does tell you how much that gold bar is worth today Um, and as we can see today it's worth just over £300,000 so I think it's that idea of lifting something that is that valuable Um, and it's it's wonderful to see the expressions on on visitors faces Uh, Do you mind if I have a go? Of course We're reaching in It says it's 13 kilos I should be able to manage this It says Switzerland on the top Yes, I could confirm that is a meaty, dense piece of uh, material. 
we're coming close to the end. Well, we're, we're coming close to the end of uh, of our time, but you're coming close to throwing the doors open to uh, the public. And I know that there's always an enormous queue outside the bank. Is that for the museum or to look around other places here as well? The museum is the only part of the bank that's open to the public. It's open uh, Monday to Friday, um, ten till five. We do open for special events on occasional weekends throughout the year, and we do have school holiday events as well that take place throughout the year. And these can all be found on the museum's website on our What's On page. Well, thanks for showing us around today. I suppose my final question, Anna Spender, did you just get the job because of your name? <laughs> it's funny you should say that. Um, my, um, my mother actually works in a bank as well. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, she's had exactly the same comments from, um, from her customers. Um, no, it's just a funny coincidence, I think. But not one you want to ever hear any more about. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Anna Spender, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Anna Spender. Thanks to to Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolf. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you.